Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've been thinking a lot lately about civility. Of course, basic politeness and exercising good manners is essential. But I think civility, real civility, goes deeper. It means to choose our words carefully and thoughtfully in non-hurtful ways. It means to be respectful of how another person sees the world even when we heartily disagree. And to maintain a sense of humility, because as a wise friend of mine used to say, we could always be wrong. These are lofty goals which I practice imperfectly, of course. But that's the tone we strive for in these programs. Thank you for listening. Support for this Public Radio International program is provided in part by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. The mass media tend to focus on how we look, what we weigh, who we date, how much money we have, what kind of car we drive, what kind of clothes we wear, how big a house we have. Is that really all we are? Of course not. I guess what I believe is that there is a need for some kind of alternative to that message. Journalists who follow a different drummer and strive to make a more meaningful use of our mass communications media. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. With the proliferation of crass content on so-called reality TV, and with broadcast news barely skimming the surface of events as sound bites grow ever briefer, some critics cry that the mainstream media have hit a new low. The major networks have turned to these techniques, hoping to lure back a segment of their shrinking nightly audience. And some practitioners of alternative media believe there's good reason for people to turn away from the standard broadcast fare. Much of today's journalism, they lament, falls far short of the role that should be played by the fourth estate. You know, Thomas Jefferson you know, said, give people the information, they'll make intelligent decisions. The responsibility of the media is to give people the information so they can make intelligent decisions. And that is not happening. That is simply not happening. People do not have the information they need to have. Veteran public radio producer Michael Toms has hosted New Dimensions for more than 25 years. He believes that mass media owned by giant corporations present carefully controlled content that has the effect of narrowing public awareness about important topics. They say that most people in America get their news from television. Well, uh, if we look at the television news of the major networks, for an example, all of these news departments within recent years have been, their staffs have been reduced, and the news has largely become entertainment. And the average in-depth news report on television is about 90 seconds in duration. What kind of depth can you, can't have much depth there. So I say that maybe 3% of the what's going on in the world is reported through the news media in the United States, the mass media in the United States. So there's one example of people getting a very limited view of the world, limited view of our society, because there's not enough time to, to focus on the major issues. And 
television also tends to dumb down its presentation of whatever it covers. Time magazine has dubbed it the summer of the shark, even though shark attacks nationwide are down from last year. The frenzy began in early July when this boy had his arm bitten off near Pensacola. Set apart from the ambience of mainstream media sensationalism, alternative communicators offer an entirely different worldview to audiences in print, online, and over the airwaves. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of body, mind, psyche, and spirit. Michael Tom's New Dimensions program, begun in San Francisco in 1973, provides a weekly informal forum for authors and other thinkers whose bold perspectives on the environment, spirituality, politics, and culture seldom penetrate the highly regulated mass media. Well, looking at the education that our children are receiving in terms of history, it's war, 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 and there's no, it's very rare to find a curriculum that gives a sense that there's any other alternative, so the children are... And then you realize that nobody feels secure when they don't know where their meal's coming from tomorrow, so you can't separate security from the problems of poverty and hunger, and you certainly can't separate security from the problem of environmental deterioration and, and uh, impacting the life support systems of the planet, and that necessitates... Sometimes uh, people forget that the most important of all the virtues is courage. Because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue with consistency. You can't be consistently kind or true or generous or open or fair-minded without... New Dimensions, supported primarily by individual listeners, is heard on hundreds of radio stations as well as on the web at newdimensions.org. It draws a loyal audience to a freewheeling, provocative exploration of what it calls ideas on the leading edge of change. But it must compete against an increasingly crude popular culture. How concerned are you by the levels of violence, coarse language, explicit sex, uh, all of the assault uh, in mainstream media today? I think it's awful. I think that we've lost standards. We don't have standards anymore. Because we don't have standards, then... It seems anything goes. I mean, every year, with the release of new programming, we have networks that push the edge more and more. We have terrible violence on television right now, and we have sexuality that's pushing the edge of what closes on pornography. Yes, there, we have this First Amendment, but the First Amendment is not a license to do anything you want in the way of speech, because the Fairness Doctrine has been repealed, because uh, the airwaves have been deregulated. It makes it possible for the Rush Limbaughs and the Howard Stearns to exist. Uh, if we had the Fairness Doctrine, they could not operate, period, in a paragraph. We used to have standards about public for public affairs programming. Those standards are gone. I mean, there's been a great outcry about children's programming, and guess what? Yeah, we have children's programming, and mostly it's infomercials for toys and products. What are the greatest dangers from our having created an atmosphere in which violence and foul language and explicit sexuality is normalized in the mass culture? Well, I think it, it, it reflects the culture. It's kind of a, a vicious cycle. It's a merry-go-round. And we've got to stop the merry-go-round and say, hey, 
we've got to change this. We've got to we've got to transform this because it's being it's reflecting in the culture now. We're having shootings in schools. We're having you know violence in our urban areas. We have you know we have a very violent society. We have an epidemic of violence. So too much television can be dangerous to your health, and I think that also extends into adulthood as well, and damaging to your health in the sense that it becomes a it becomes a drug. It becomes an opiate. It becomes a distraction. And in this culture, we've created Olympic levels of distraction. Every day there's a new one coming down the pike. So, you know, there's just so many things to take our attention away from the essential questions. The essential questions in my terms being, why, why are we here? What are we doing here? What is human life about? What does it really come down to? It comes down to relationship, community, love, family. These are the essential questions. And... We get distracted from those essential questions by the way the media, we use the media and the way the media uses us. Why do we succumb to those distractions so easily? I think because we live, the culture we live in uh, tends to support that kind of distraction. We live in a fast lane culture and we have to get on the off ramp to realize we're even in the fast lane. Then once you're in the off ramp, what do you do? Well. You have to take time for yourself. You have to make time for yourself a priority in your life. And we haven't done that. You know, I remember in the late 60s, early 70s, there was this great promise of more leisure time, that the kind of technologies that were coming on in the future. And, and I mean, in California in the late 60s, early 70s, where I was living at the time, there was this big second home land boom because we're going to have so much extra time and you have a second home in the mountains or in the lake or whatever. And because there's going to be all this leisure time. And what's happened? That, that leisure time never materialized. You know, we're working more, enjoying it less. Michael Toms could well be called a media visionary. Over the years, many voices heard repeatedly on New Dimensions went on to gain widespread recognition, including mythologist Joseph Campbell and holistic physician Andrew Weil. With a special sense for finding people who can express important, life-giving ideas, he loves to enlighten and challenge his audience. Our vision is to expand the landscape, expand the landscape of possibilities, because I believe that as we change our perspective as we see the world in different ways. It enlarges the possibilities for what we can do. So New Dimensions is about expanding the landscape of possibilities, taking the blinders off and seeing the world in a different way. And there's this way to see it, and there's this way, and there's this way, and there's this way. So we cover a wide breadth of topical matter because the world is made up of lots of perspectives. And we try and focus on people and ideas that are having, making a contribution in a meaningful way in our society, whether it be local, regional, national, or global. And there's an opportunity, there's a window of opportunity over the next 10 years where we could make some basic choices and revise some of our priorities that could affect the next hundred years in a major way. And so that's a priority we have to make. It's a choice we have to make. And we have, we have a window here to make it.
but we better make it fast. We better ch better make some new choices fast and set some new priorities quickly. And I think if we do that, and I think human beings are amazingly resilient. We're amazingly inventive. We're, you know, we're very, very capable of making enormous changes if we have the information, if we know what we have to do. Looking out over the media landscape, what do you currently see as the most promising activities for integrating spirit into communications? I think that the fact that survey after survey demonstrates that people, not only in the United States, but elsewhere in the world, are hungry for meaning and purpose. That is the most exciting reality that I think is can be the catalyst for bringing spirit and communications together. Because this is really basically what people want. Deep down is what we all want. We want to hear, we want to know that there's hope. On the opposite coast from California, in the charming New England town of Brooklyn, Maine, another communicator plies his craft to the rhythm of a different drummer. John Wilson publishes Hope magazine. It's aimed at bringing readers the stories and faces of people in all walks of life who strive for a better society. Hope offers inspiring ideas while avoiding the trap of saccharine writing. An avid sailor who previously founded a successful publication entitled Wooden Boat, John Wilson had in place the infrastructure and resources to launch a new magazine. And so in 1996, on a wing and a prayer, hope was born to fill a gap. I think that having ideals, high ideals, is, is a challenging activity in, in this day and age. I think, you know, there's a lot of certainly the media, the, the mass media, tend to focus on the material, what I would call the superficial. Our guest tonight is Christina Crawford, Joan Crawford's adopted daughter, author of the famous book Mommy Dearest, maybe the most famous, if we could call it, tell-all book ever written, certainly in point Why of... Why are you so committed to providing another context for journalism, another context for stories about how people can make things better? Because I feel it's so desperately needed. I don't think there's enough of it. I think we have, I think it's that our sense that we're becoming a celebrity culture, um, that we're becoming a detached culture, that there's a culture of violence, um, that is not who we are. It is who we seem to be if you just look at the media. We are obsessed with celebrity. And I am also, I'm not saying that I'm immune to this. I also am interested in what celebrities do and how they act. So I don't make judgments about it. It's just that, you know, it's, it's astonishing to me that, that that's where we've come to, that we have come to believe that celebrities are like gods and that we want to be like them. 
and um, obviously not everybody feels this way, but I, I do think it's, there's a prevalence of that. And I want us to realize that our godliness, if you will, is in our hearts and not in what our faces look like or how well we can act or what our bodies look like or what we wear or drive. It is who we are. I want that to have a chance to be expressed. And nobody else seems to want to do it quite this way in a magazine format. How do you feel about the argument that media providers to attract an audience uh, merely present content that people want and that the media should not be blamed if standards decline because those are the standards of the public? I feel that what you're saying is exactly true, um, but I think that media, by virtue of their power, have a responsibility to the society. I think that um, we, you know, whatever is being taught in journalism schools, not to say, let's separate ourselves from the entertainment industry. We'll get to that. I believe the media have a, a fundamental responsibility to advance the discourse in our society, to advance the, the, the conversation about what makes a healthy society, about what a human being, a true human being is. The news media says our job is to be objective, but I just don't believe that it is objective enough. I believe there's plenty of bias in what is reported. Um, it's just a different bias. So that segues into the, into the entertainment industry, which is in the same position. People are tremendously influenced by films, for example. If screenwriters, if more screenwriters could work toward helping to influence society, reflecting the best of society instead of the worst, I mean, look at the proliferation of violent films. That is really, to me, is a sickening thing because I'm personally not a violent person. You know, I, apparently people love that stuff. And, you know, I don't know what it is that makes them love that stuff, but they do. And I'm not saying they're all wrong. I'm only saying shouldn't the industry, shouldn't the entertainment industry try to make something better out of what is happening there than they are? I always see this as a creative failure rather than solely a void of values uh, because there are ways to really engage people, to get people's adrenaline pumping, to capture their imagination without resorting to the you know, kind of most degraded kinds of behavior imaginable. I absolutely agree with you. I think it is a creative failure. I think, um, you know, in some ways it's hard for the writers probably to, to step out, to dare to step out of that box, to propose something that would be, um, that would, you know, that would cross over that line. What we have to do is remind our readers and our listeners that there is an alternative way to think about this. And the more of us who are doing this the more we'll be heard. And the more we're heard, the more the public, the consumers, will say, wait a second, give us something a little more, because we are the ones who are buying it. And we are the ones who are not saying, at least loudly enough or articulately enough, this is not what we want. The pages of Hope magazine are filled with people, many of them ordinary and unsung, who take a stand in their local community and manage, sometimes improbably, to make a constructive difference. There are thousands of such stories to choose from, and John Wilson publishes the ones that he finds most moving and honest. 
teachers who are working in classrooms to make their students feel whole rather than feel as if they are receptacles for information. We had a piece in the current issue about a woman in South Central Los Angeles who started her own school. Uh, well, actually, her father started it after the Watts riots in L.A., um, and she now runs it. She just wants them to know that they are whole human beings. They may not become highly educated in the, in the classic university sense. They may not get great, classy jobs, but they will go into whatever work they do with a full sense of who they are and that they are loved. That's important to her, that they are loved. That's the kind of educator she is. She's a wonderful woman. Another one was a woman who sold real estate in, um, also in South Central Los Angeles. She was earning a six-figure income, but she was drinking a lot of it away. She was a heavy drinker. She just realized that this she was making tons of money, but nothing was changing in the world around her. She was finding beautiful places for people to live, but nothing was changing in the world around her. So she decided to open an after-school program in the, in the neighborhood where the kids were going to school, a place where they could come and be safe from either victimization or exploitation from other kids in the neighborhood, or if they wanted to study, they could study. If they wanted to learn skills, they wanted to just do their homework, they could do it because it was a quiet, safe place where they were gathered to do their homework. This woman quit her job as a real estate agent and just runs that program now. It's a beautiful thing when that transformation happens because you really see, you know, you, as a reader, you want to be there. You want to do that too. And so we need those examples, those stories, to, to understand what we can do to make a difference. So what so fascinates you about these people? I guess the fundamental thing that fascinates me is that they dare to step off the track that is, has been or is safe and successful for them, that they dare to step out into the unknown, that they dare to step out of the danger zone, in fact, what we like to, that's where we like to be in Hope Magazine. That's, that's what we want the magazine to cover. That, there, that is a struggle. There are triumphs and there are failures. It is not easy to keep those ideals alive in our culture. I think one can end up working pretty alone or one can end up working in a context of, let's say, organized religion or maybe semi-organized spiritual groups, um, spiritual pursuits. I think in any case, it is not easy. I think it, people who struggle with the expression of high ideals always feel as if they're in the minority. John Wilson is every bit as much an idealist as the people whose stories are told in Hope magazine. With a relatively small base of subscribers to date and the substantial costs of churning out a quarterly magazine, John Wilson presently loses hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on the venture. But for now, he's committed to growing a publication whose main focus is the good in humanity. What I want Hope to do is to create a place for people to feel, really feel, the feelings that go with the human experience. 
so that what we publish um, evokes those feelings, we hope. That we want not to simply entertain readers, although we know that a magazine has to do that as well, but we want to engage them in the process of being human. And what do you mean when you say trying to engage people in the process of being human? I think there's a lot of what goes on in our lives that allows us to kind of remove ourselves from being human. We're asked to appreciate things intellectually. We're asked to appreciate things, to experience things from a detached, controlled point of view. Sometimes that detached, controlled point of view is not that human. And I don't mean inhuman. I just mean that it's a, it is so detached from elements of empathy and understanding, elements of identification, um, sensitivity, the, the connection between people, the being in touch, that if we, when we make, when we receive information or experience experiences, if we detach ourselves from the human side of that, if we just have an intellectual experience, for example, I think we miss, we abandon a significant part of ourselves in the course of doing that. And I want us to be, and I mean fully be, where our feelings are, which is the most human, it seems to me, of experiences. I don't think that the intellectual process is the most human experience. I admit that it's part of the human experience. But I guess how I translate the human experience is in the area of feelings, you know, how we feel, how we respond, as opposed to what we say, even sometimes as opposed to what we think. So what is the makeup of people who nevertheless are willing to sort of press forward and try to make things better? What drives those people? Because you've profiled quite a lot of them in Hope magazine. Mm -hmm. First of all, the belief that this is possible, the belief that they can make a difference, the belief that the ideal or the objective they're working toward is so right that no matter what they have to struggle through, they're going to stay with it. That I think that's a fundamental component. Um, second, I would say, I'm guessing, um, kind of an inability to take no for an answer. That, to me, is the, is the most common and for me, important point, you know, that ability to, to, despite the evidence, press on. I mean, again, that's, that's in many ways what we do with Hope. Hope, as you know, is struggling as a magazine. Why is that not foolhardy? For the accountant at our company, I think there are days when he looks at our financials and says, you know, John Wilson is really a fool. If you're only looking at the bottom line, it, it would it, do, it not only could, but it would look foolhardy. Why would you lose so much money on a regular basis? Why it's not foolhardy for me is because I believe in this idea. I believe that we as a culture deserve a magazine that focuses entirely on the, the idea that we can make a difference, that it is worth the work. In a way, if we give up, and this is not what drives it, but this is certainly a component, if we give up, then we are saying that there is no hope. Um, I, I can't do that. Uh, and not just because I have to admit defeat. It's not that. It's, the, it's because I believe that it's possible. I, I know that I'm naive. 
that is, that's my stock and trade. And I, I, I can live with that. I, I don't mind that at all because somebody maybe has to be this naive to, to say that there is this alternative. There are people out here who are doing great things. If it's foolhardy, I'm a fool, and I don't mind being a fool in this case. John Wilson of Brooklyn, Maine, publisher of Hope magazine. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network, Incorporated. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Greg Fitzgerald and Brendan Tapley. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This is Humankind Program number 41, Different Drummers. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org, and at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.